You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right. Good morning. Um, it's great to be able to gather once again. As Adam mentioned, this is um, week 10 of doing this. Uh, maybe one of our longest stretches between um, application Sundays. So we started with our first uh, distance service, virtual remote service with an application Sunday. And now we're um, coming back around to that. Um, I think we were wanting to hold off as long as we could with doing another one because we were hoping to be gathering again together so that we could fully participate in an application Sunday. I think one of the big things that we haven't been able to do as much as technology has allowed us to um, adjust and compensate for the distances, uh, we haven't been able to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And um, that's something that we will we'll continue to hold off on um, just because we believe that that's uh, probably best reserved for when we can gather together in person. Um, just the picture of what it entails, I think, is best pictured in a physical gathering of people where uh, elements can be partaken together and we can receive the encouragement of doing that together. And so um, we look forward to maybe in the near future being able to gather again and be able to participate in the Lord's Supper uh, in that manner. But we are coming to uh, Application Sunday today. And just to kind of give you a, an overview of what's coming in the next couple of weeks, we're going to do Application Sunday today. Um, and then we are going to, uh, and that's just going to cover what we've basically learned during this time of quarantine. And then next Sunday, we're going to wrap up the Gospel of John with those last couple of verses in chapter 21, as well as kind of look at the book as a whole one more time before we say goodbye to the Gospel of John and move into what God will have for us next. And so um, that's what the next two weeks looks like. Um, and then I will give you some updates on where we're going after the Gospel of John here pretty soon um, as well. Before we get into uh, application discussion from our text uh, today, I wanted to kind of recap where we're at with some of our goals and action points. Obviously, not a whole lot of movement in what we're doing right now since we haven't been able to gather together and, and move us forward as a church from that standpoint. But um, from the partnership standpoint, we're obviously praying for uh, different ministries that we can work with in the area. And I did want to use this morning as an opportunity to encourage you to watch the virtual gala that took place with the Coweta Pregnancy Services on Friday night. If you didn't get a chance to watch that, the link is available through the rest of this week. So you can go back and watch um, their presentation. And I would highly encourage you to do that. We want to maintain a strong partnership with them uh, because we value life. Uh, we value um, each, uh, each child, each baby that has an opportunity for life through their ministry. And um, certainly they're being impacted financially during this time. Um, this was one of their big fundraisers and not being able to do that. And so there's opportunities to give. And so let me encourage you to not only watch that presentation, but to strongly consider giving like you would have given had you been able to attend. Um, they certainly uh, need the funding uh, to continue doing what it is they're doing. And it's a wonderful uh, ministry to invest in um, because it's an investment into something where you know uh, life is being promoted um, and, and so let me just encourage you to be praying about that. I know that uh, we've, we've had people in our church impacted financially. I know that we have people who haven't been. Um, so let me encourage you to really consider giving 
even though we don't get the dinner, even though we don't get the fun of the um, silent auction that so many of us enjoy, just being able to do that together as a church family, let me encourage you not to deter from giving in, in this time of quarantine to them because they certainly uh, will need the funding in the coming weeks and months. Uh, piggybacking off of that, let me encourage you now to start praying about the possibilities of giving to, to help Snowbird out as well. Um, I've been in contact with them. Uh, Rob and I have been talking just about their plans for the summer. I think they are exhausting their efforts to try to figure out how to have summer camp if and when the time comes where North Carolina is open in such a way to permit that. Um, they are preparing for financial impact, though, even if they are able to open and have some form of a summer. They know that not as many campers are going to come. They know that they may not be able to have as many weeks. Um, but this is their big time of, of revenue to sustain them through the course of the year. And, um, man, I've just been challenged by some of the things they've been able to put out uh, teaching-wise and, and how it's blessed me. And I, and I know that ministry is just so important to so many churches it's a great way for us to partner with uh, God's kingdom beyond our church. So let me encourage you to uh, prayerfully consider giving, and we may be able to make some opportunities available for you to do that as well through the church, but to be able to give to Snowbird to help uh, with their impact uh, financially during this time too. Um, number two, we've been asking you guys to pray for uh, different uh, individuals to step up and be able to lead in different areas, particularly in the area of discussion groups. We've been in conversations with four individuals who are um, receiving those questions every week and are praying about the possibility of stepping into that role. And so I'd ask you to, to be in prayer for um, our increase in discussion group leaders, uh, which will help us um, out on a Sunday. And then long-term, uh, we envision that being a stepping stone towards uh, even leading uh, C groups down the road. And so that will help us ultimately as we continue to grow as a church family to be able to care for and provide uh, for the visitors and, and uh, others that God would bring to us. Um, in piggybacking off of that idea of visitors coming, we want to encourage you to continue embracing those that are in your C group, particularly those that recently joined our church. Um, this is certainly a time where we want to stay in touch with each other and, and stay uh, in, in contact so that we can encourage one another. Um, we're continuing to offer our D groups and C groups and we want you to connect even outside those opportunities through phone conversations, text messages, um, to, to just uh, you know speak a word of encouragement to each other, to, to know that each other's praying for each other. So let me encourage you to continue doing that. Um, and uh, number four, uh, you know, we've asked you to be in prayer for long-term meeting options as our deacons look at the possibilities of um, us down the road relocating to a more conducive space potentially if need be, but uh, we'll kind of shift gears from that to let's, let's ask you to specifically be in prayer for our back together team and, and just the current place that we meet. Right. So uh, shelving kind of the idea of where are we going to meet several years down the road and let's be in prayer about how we're going to meet here again down the road. Um, I'm so appreciative of those that are putting time and energy into putting together a plan that will allow us to regather in the near future. And so, be in prayer for those individuals that um, they'll have increased time of wisdom um, in their discussions. They meet on Sundays. And so um, just pray for them as they're putting together plans um, that we'll be able to start uh, phasing into an aspect of meeting here uh, in the near future, hopefully. And then as Daniel so greatly did updating us on our missions 
that we'd continue to be in prayer for our, our families at Snowbird, the Folkers, McMurray's, um, all three obviously being impacted by the quarantine time, uh, some of that being impacted financially. And so they certainly need our prayers and encouragement. Um, if, you, if you'd like specific contact information for any of those people, um, maybe we can get that posted once again on the, the rim just as an immediate update so that we can reach out by email to those individuals. I know that I was able to email the McMurray's recently. It seemed like it was a huge uh, point of encouragement from them just to hear from somebody that maybe they aren't nor normally hearing from to know that somebody outside the, the family close friend realm is praying for them and thinking about them. So I know it would be a huge encouragement to them to hear from people from our church uh, to know that people are thinking about them and praying for them uh, during this time. Okay. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And so we're going to be looking at, uh, once again, a couple of different passages uh, from John chapter 19, 20, and 21 as we recap really what is, uh, I guess, the last eight weeks of sermons. Um, we've seen the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and then these post-resurrection appearances uh, by Jesus. And so we want to kind of look back over what God has taught us. And as I've started doing the last couple of application Sundays, we're going to wrap up all that content. I'm going to give you four things that I want you to remember over the last eight weeks, because um, I realize you're not going to you're not going to be able to retain everything that we've talked about, right? You're not going to be able to retain everything that we talk about today. Um, I can't retain everything that I tell you over the last eight weeks or even today. But here's four things that I want you to be able to write down, look back upon, and remember from this eight week. Uh, sermon time, and then I'm going to give you four things uh, uh, of application to do, four things to kind of springboard you moving forward. Here's four things for me to focus on uh, coming out of this eight-week study in John chapter 19, 20, and 21, okay? So John chapter 19, our first sermon uh, after last application Sunday uh, was titled Behold the Man, and so we're going to show you that uh, summary sentence from that week. While humans enjoy delegated authority, supreme authority lies in heaven, giving us reason to trust God and to do right when we see human authorities doing evil because we believe God will use those evil actions for his purposes. John chapter 19, verse 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. We talked extensively during this week about how uh, Pilate has this authority that he's doing everything that he can to cling to and hang on to, right? Like all the, the, the handlings of Jesus's trial is based off of Pilate really wanting this situation to just go away. He wants to keep the Jewish people quiet. He wants to keep this off the radar of the, of the Romans because he doesn't want to lose his power. He doesn't want to be perceived as an individual who can't manage his area very well, and the Jews know that. And so they try to take advantage of that, and they try to threaten him that um, if you don't do this, this is what we're going to do, and it's going to hurt you in the eyes of Rome, right? And so we talked about this struggle for authority and yet what we see in this passage is that Jesus is the one who has all the authority and all the control, right? We talked about 
that we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who made himself man, that this passage is one of the strong passages that point to his innocency, that they can't find anything wrong with him. They can't find them being guilty of doing anything. They keep passing him around because they can't find him at guilt. Um, and so it's a strong reminder to us that in the midst of this trial, Jesus is found to be innocent time and time again. Um, it's also a good reminder to us that the greatest crime in history is completely under God's authority, right? That um, Jesus, who absolutely deserved nothing that he receives, um, God allows uh, him to, to go to the cross for us. And um, from a human perspective, it's a tragedy that an innocent man would be punished uh, at the hands of these evildoers. And yet, from God's perspective, it's the only way for us to be made right with him. And so the greatest crime in history from a human perspective is under God's control the entire time. We talked about remembering that Jesus is king and all other authority is delegated authority, right? That no human being has absolute power, including Pilate in this scenario. It's Jesus who basically informs Pilate that um, he has no authority except the ones that come from God, right? In verse 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Because Pilate's like, don't you realize I have the authority to, to release you or to crucify you? Like Pilate's like, hey, I'm making the decisions here, right? Like the power is in my hands. You better answer me. You better speak up. And Jesus is just not answering his questions, right? We use that illustration of uh, Rambo and being questioned by the, uh, the Russian uh, army. He's like, I don't have to answer your questions because I'm about to, I'm about to, to go Rambo on you, right? Because I'm, I'm superior to you. Jesus has this approach here. He's like, I don't have to answer you, Pilate. I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to give you what you want because I'm in control. The only power that you have, the only authority that you have is there, is present because my Father's given it to you, right? And so we want to keep that in mind ourselves as we have different authorities in our life, right? Pastors, elders, uh, bosses, um, governmental leaders, these people who make decisions for us, these people who lead us and guide us and direct us, the only authority they have comes from God. <clears throat> God places all authority in the positions that, that um, people find themselves in, right? And so we can take comfort that when the, 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 the wrong people from our perspective end up in positions of authority and are making evil decisions, we can take comfort and not lose hope because we know that Jesus is still the king that he remains in control, right? Um, from an application standpoint this week, we talked about um, praying for our delegated authorities, that <clears throat> we can trust God's in control, we can submit ourselves and, and do what's right to those that God has placed in authority over us, and even when those authorities start to deviate from what we know to be the right thing to do. Um, we can trust that God's in control, but our responsibility is to pray and to support those leaders as much as, as, much as we can. I mean, we've certainly been challenged in that area, probably more so than in recent years with our government having to give us guidance and direction about how to live and operate right now. Right. And, and we can, we can submit to that and know that it's good, that it's, um, it, it's in line with God's plans that he's put the right people 
people that he wants in place for this time period, and so we can trust him in that. The next week we looked at the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, we titled it, It is Finished. We said the cross is God's declaration that Jesus Christ came to save sinners of all kinds in fulfillment of promises made long ago. And now that he has finished that work, he calls us to respond in faith and obedience to him. John chapter 19, verse 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to its mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. We talked about uh, some of the gospel elements that are communicated to us through the cross, right? We talked about the, uh, the sinfulness of mankind. It is seen in the agony and the torment that Jesus has to go through physically in, in paying for our sins, the, um, the difficulty of the crucifixion upon his body, right? Um, the sinfulness of man uh, really bleeds through all that, that we can see that um, this is what our sin, that's, that's what our sin is capable of. It, 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 it leads to this type of um, response by God, this wrath upon Jesus, thankfully, in, in our place. Um, but we also see gospel elements ring true in that uh, salvation is available for, for anyone, right? Um, we see the, the two thieves that are crucified next to Jesus. And so we talked about how uh, this individual would have been one that, you know, we may have been crying out for his own crucifixion if we had been in the crowd. Not, um, not so much Jesus, but for this, this criminal, right? Like we want justice for this individual. This, this individual has broken the law and has potentially harmed others. And so we want justice to be served. Jesus kind of swoops in and says, you're forgiven. You'll, you'll be with me in paradise, right? And it's a reminder to us that uh, salvation is not based on our performance because this man had done nothing to earn salvation and would have zero opportunity after expressing faith to earn anything righteousness-wise. It's all based on Jesus. And because he sees that, because he recognizes that, Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise, right? Um, the, the gospel's for anyone. <clears throat> it's for everyone as well, right? With that plastering of the king of the Jews in multiple languages on the cross, it's uh, a communication to everybody that would have been present, to be able to read that in a language that they could understand. This is who this person is, right? And so it's a, a nod to the fact that um, the gospel is for all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, right? We see that through the crucifixion. We can trust in Jesus more because the cross fulfills scripture. This isn't an accident. This isn't a tragedy. This is completely in line with what God has been saying was gonna happen for a long time, right? John does a great job of pointing out how this fulfilled scripture, this fulfilled scripture, this fulfilled scripture, right? We see the, the, the crucifixion between the thieves is, is something that was prophesied. The, the gambling of his garments, the bitter drink that he tastes of, all these things were prophesied in scripture. That's important to, to my um, doubting heart sometimes, right? Have a believing heart that, that wants to keep believing more, and there's times where doubt maybe creeps in, and it's a reminder to our believing heart that wants to doubt, hey, 
this, this is absolutely true, right? No reason to doubt here. No reason to question here. This is something that God had put in place before the foundation of the world, right? And he writes the Old Testament in such a way to show us that this author, right, this author um, knew exactly where he was taking the story, right? One of my big criticisms of the new Star Wars trilogy is I'm not convinced that the authors knew where they were taking the story when they first started writing the, the, the um, Force Awakens. I think they were kind of ad-libbing as they went, just kind of throwing new stuff in. I don't think they started with a game plan from the very beginning and said, here's where this story is going to go, and now we're going to fill in everything in between, right? What we know from the cross is that this, this story was written long ago, not, not unfolding before us for the very first time, and God's trying to react to everything. And this, this thing was written long ago, and the prophecies are being fulfilled as the crucifixion plays out. We talked about saying goodbye to these things that are finished on the cross, right? When he says it is finished, uh, we are set free from the law. We are set free from sin. We are set free from condemnation. We are set free from death. We are set free from Satan, right? We talked about Jesus being this great advocate who now stands in our place. And I challenge you this week as an application to read First uh, John chapter 1 and 2 to see what it is Jesus has done for us, what he now makes available to us as our advocate right? It is finished. John chapter 19. The next sermon we looked at was the burial of Jesus. We didn't skip straight into the, the um, resurrection as maybe a lot of people would do. Instead, we looked specifically at the burial of Jesus because the factual evidence supporting both the verified death and the public burial of Jesus gives us the foundation needed for believing and hoping in the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection only makes sense if Jesus died and if he was buried in a way that everybody knew where his body was put to rest right those things verify the resurrection for us the fact that he was killed by master killers um that he was buried publicly right his body was claimed publicly by some of his disciples hey we want the body we want to do something with it Pilate gives them permission to take it right there was no stealing of the body before it was buried Pilate knew exactly who took the body, right? The body was clearly dead, right? Um, these things lend us to believe in the resurrection. Now, believing in the resurrection is obviously a spiritual transformation that has to happen in us. The Holy Spirit has to convict us of these facts, right? What I want you to see and what I want you to remember from this, though, is the fact that our faith is not this uh, blind faith. That, that has no factual evidence, right? Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing, right? Um, but he's not saying blessed are those who are just blindly believing, right? When he talks to Thomas there, the idea there is that, Thomas, you have heard enough to believe. You don't have to see it. You've, you've heard it, right? So we have heard these factual evidences of the burial of Jesus, and it helps solidify our faith that he really died, he was really buried, and that he will rise again after three days, right? Our challenge for that week was to keep believing these truths, um, especially when things look like they are spiraling out of, out of our control, that God's plan is still very calculated, because even in the burial process, Scripture's being fulfilled, right? If you're just a disciple that's watching all of this happen, you could very easily think, man, God missed it. 
right? God's plan isn't coming about. Like God has lost control. God's not present. God's not here. Um, so tempting sometimes in our darkest moments to try to think that God's not there, that God's not present. Um, and yet what we see here is even in the burial process, God is very present, um, which gives us great reason to hope in that resurrection, which led us into the next week, our Easter Sunday service, a mostly empty tomb. The details surrounding the tomb of Jesus gives us great reason to put our faith in his resurrection and our hope in all of his other promises to come. We talked about it being a mostly empty tomb. <clears throat> and the fact that it wasn't completely empty helped the disciple John believe. In John chapter 20, verse 4, both of them were running together, Peter and John, after they've heard from Mary Magdalene. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. We talked about how all the um, physical, visual evidence around that tomb helps solidify belief for John and Peter, right? That John sees what has happened, sees what is absent, right? The tomb has been rolled away. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb has been opened. The guards are not there. He sees what is present, the, the burial cloths. Not the body, but the burial cloths. And they're not ripped up and shredded and discarded like thieves came in here and took the body. They aren't missing like a thief would have taken the body, right? Like, I mean, that would have been your first thought is that you walk into the tomb, the body's missing and the cloth, you would have said, oh, who took his body, right? Like who stole his body? But you walk in and you see no body, but you see the cloth and it's like, who would have gone to the trouble of, of taking the body out of the cloth and then putting it back exactly how they found it, right? It doesn't make sense. So this mostly empty tomb, the fact that it has the burial cloth, so important to us knowing what it is we're putting our faith and trust in. Um, we examine the evidence regarding the tomb. We determine what we believe happened to the body, right? Like this is, this is gospel conversation. We believe these things, right? Like that's the decision point for us is, am I ready to see Jesus as my righteousness? Am I really willing to see him as my um, uh, bearer of my sin and my wrath? And, and, and he dies for me and he comes back to life and invites me into this new life with him. There's no new life with him unless he's back from the dead, right? And so um, I, have to, I have to determine what I believe about all this. And, and if, he, if he did rise from the dead, then it changes how I view the rest of scripture. Right, I submit myself to it. I believe it. I trust it. I follow it. I obey it. Um, which is why I always talk to you guys about the fact that if if you want to leave Christianity, if you want to disobey Scripture, if you want to go in a completely different direction, then you need to reevaluate what you believe about the resurrection. Because the only reason you would walk away and leave is if you believe that Jesus is still dead, not back from the dead. There's a lot of things that are going to maybe disappoint you in life. Um, other Christians, the church, um, sometimes the Christian life may be disappointing. 
Um, sometimes sin is going to be really tempting to go after. Uh, but the thing that keeps us holding fast is the fact that we believe Jesus is back from the dead. Because what we're told in the book of Acts is that if he's back from the dead, he is coming again. He's coming again, right? And so we, we keep hoping in him because we know he's returning for us. <clears throat> and then we try to communicate this truth to other people, right? We want to communicate that God turns sorrow into joy. That's certainly true for what we see in this passage with Mary Magdalene. Her sorrow turned to joy. Um, this new relationship that comes about, right? Jesus appears and says, go and tell my brothers that I'm coming to appear to them, right? Like this new relationship that we enjoy because of the resurrection. Um, and this is where, you know, what we've been talking about, your responsibility with D groups. We talked about this some last week with uh, feeding other people the word, right? You, you have this great privilege of, of being a vehicle, a tool that God uses to help others see how he turns sorrow into joy, how he, how he brings us into this new relationship, right? And we get to communicate that through our D group uh, times together, where we're, where we're studying scripture, we're convicted by scripture, we're growing in scripture, we're being sanctified personally, to be able to share that with others, to help grow them up in their faith. Because Jesus tells Mary Magdalene, like, go, go and tell everybody. Go, go tell them what's going on here, right? We get to do that with each other in this church. Um, I want to continue to encourage you to do so. This moved us into one of his post-resurrection encounters, specifically with Thomas. And so that next week we looked at um, believing Thomas. And the summary sentence from that week, the biblical account of the resurrection gives me all that is necessary to believe that Jesus can replace my anxious heart with a state of peace. And with the power of his spirit, I can now help others enjoy that peace too. The biblical account of the resurrection gives me all that's necessary to believe that Jesus can replace my anxious heart with a state of peace. And with the power of his spirit, I can now help others enjoy that peace too. Jesus shows up and he comes talking about peace again, the exact same peace he was talking about before he went to the cross, right? He now comes offering it again, and this time it, it resonates with the disciples that he truly can offer it, right? In John chapter 20, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Right? We talked about enjoying this promised, purchased peace that Jesus gives us now through the resurrection. That he has accomplished the grounds needed for peace. Right? We know where we stand with our creator now. We stand well with him. Right? We stand at peace with him. We're free from condemnation. Um, so we can have this peace and then we can embrace the responsibilities of serving the resurrected Jesus. Uh, he talks previously to his disciples about this supernatural power that's coming upon them with the Holy Spirit and the gospel authority that they have to communicate forgiveness and a lack of forgiveness to others, right? Not that we have the power to save or to not save somebody, but we do have the gospel message and the gospel message tells people how to be forgiven. And that if rejection of that message takes place, 
they remain in a state of unforgiveness, right? And so we have this gospel authority because we have the message that we've been told to communicate. And then we talked about educating our current experiences with faithful accounts of the resurrected Jesus. That when we can't see what God is doing, we, we remember his past faithfulness, that, that God has shown plenty of times a willingness to give and to withhold giving all for good purposes, right? Sometimes God chooses to give. Sometimes he chooses not to give. Both are from a, a wise God who has good purposes in store for his children. And so when I find myself in the midst of a situation where God is not giving to me, right, and I'm, question, and I, and I'm tempted to question his goodness or to doubt his sovereignty, to, to wonder whether he is still in control, to wonder if he is working good for me, that I have to educate my current experiences with past faithfulness, right? That's why I, I'll never be willing to discard the Old Testament and say, we don't need to go there. We don't need to read that anymore. We're, 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 we've moved on. New Testament is sufficient for us. And the Old Testament is slapped full of his past faithfulness that gives me confidence and reason to follow him in the New Testament. Right, that he's a faithful God who takes care of his people, um, and so in in the year 2020, when things are spiraling around me, and I don't know if I'm going to have a job, and I don't know what my job's going to look like if I do have a job, and and I don't know uh, if God's going to give or provide, <clears throat> that I educate my my anxiousness with His past faithfulness, so that I can be at peace. So that I can I can respond to him saying peace be with you, and me be able to say yes I feel that peace. I'm completely entrusting my soul to you. Challenge you this week as an application point to let the Bible speak to your anxious heart. Uh, to be intentional about reading the Word, studying the Word, and spending time with people who do the same. Right? That we uh, we keep believing and we find peace and victory over anxiousness by being in the Word of God and by being with people who are in the Word of God. Those are two necessary components. I think that's a running theme throughout uh, God's Word, is that we need Him through His Word, and we need Him through other people who are in His Word. We need that extra layer of wisdom and accountability and encouragement that comes from godly fellowship with others, which is why it's so important that we reach a point where we can be back together gathering because even in this format, it's lacking, right? We, we lack the ability to uh, hold each other accountable and to encourage one another and to share wisdom with each other because we are limited in our contact, right? The next week we looked at belief for life, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by believing you may have life in his name. It's the purpose of the book, right? That it's a calculated recollection of Jesus' earthly life with the purpose of bringing us to initial faith that grows into continual faith that ultimately can be described as a life-changing faith, right? So the book is written so that we would come to faith in Christ, see him as the Messiah, that we would grow in our faith and keep believing in him, and it would result in a changed life for the here and now and for all eternity. And so it's a challenge to us to be content with not having all the answers because John tells us, I didn't give you everything. I gave you what I felt like you needed to believe in him, 
right? So be content with what we do have, shape our life around what we know and keep believing, right? Remain in the word, remain around people who are in the word. Um, and, and so our application from this week was um, what's shaping you more, the word or the media, right? Is your current state of emotion based off of what you're reading in God's word or what you've read in the most recent article with projections and models for what's happening with the coronavirus, right? Our, our peace and anxiousness uh, is shaped by God's word and it has to be. Um, it's the one thing that doesn't change, right? And then um, am I maintaining that needed contact with my church family to speak peace to me when I am feeling anxious? Do I have that extra layer of protection uh, with my church family. That brought us into John chapter 21 a couple of weeks ago where we looked at the miraculous catch of fish, right? A very familiar passage of scripture. And it's in the midst of this that we really hit on the miracle that takes place in the failure of catching fish as much as there is a miracle present when they do catch the fish, right? Our failures and our successes are determined by God's sovereign control rather than our own expertise reminding us that we fare far better when we trust Jesus rather than our own wisdom when it comes to our provision and care, right? And so we said that Jesus works a miracle by allowing the expertise fishermen to not catch any fish so that when they find success, they're very quick to turn their attention to God and to give him glory for it. We talked about understanding that our failures can be divine miracles too, right? That all of our accomplishments or lack thereof are under his control. And sometimes he allows us to fail and he allows that intentionally to set the stage for successes that are to come, right? So that our successes can be properly seen as God's working and moving in our life, right? So don't ever get discouraged about things not going the way that you anticipated they should go because sometimes those are divine miracles too, right? Sometimes those are divine miracles too. Um, you know, I, I think that we see that pattern in Scripture, uh, right? I think that, you know, one of, one of the things that comes to mind so frequently to me is is the idea of um, bearing a child, right? Because uh, so many people struggle with that in life, wanting a child, wanting a spouse, um, and not having those things on their own timetable. And, and it's not too unfamiliar to Scripture to see people wanting those same things, right? Uh, wanting spouses and wanting children and God miraculously closes up wombs in scripture for periods of time for specific purposes and then and then opens wombs at specific times in in history so that children could be born right God's God's in control of all of it um, I know you know and this kind of ties into what we talked about with God writing our own story there were times in my life where and my life just wasn't fitting into the cookie cutter that I had created for myself, right? Like my plan was to, to go to college, to be done in four years, to be married at the end of those four years, to immediately walk into a church where I was going to be a youth pastor. And, and I had this, this course of history for myself all developed. And I think I've shared this before. I was uh, 26, 27, I think almost 27 and, and me and my buddy were looking for jobs and we had driven down to South Georgia to interview at some schools. And I remember laying in bed in the hotel and, and crying myself to sleep because I had no idea what God was doing in my life. I wasn't married. I didn't have the job that I thought I was due. 
I had taken six years to finish school because I finished undergrad in four, didn't know what to do with my life. And so I stayed in grad school for two years, trying to, to, to wait to see God to, to come through and do what it is I thought he was supposed to do for me. Right. And now I can look back on it and see the provision and the care that he had in mind the entire time. Right. I mean, it's funny to think about like when I was ready to get married, Lauren wasn't right. Like she wasn't, she wasn't old enough to get married yet. Right. And so, um, but I, I couldn't be more blessed to have the wife that God gave to me. Um, and he allowed me to meet her at, at probably the youngest age that I could have met her and for us to, to work towards marriage. Right. I think I met her when uh, she was about to turn 20. Right. And that was me at 27. And so um, it was about the only time that we could have met where it made sense for us to pursue a relationship together. And I'm grateful to God for that. Right. Certainly didn't didn't understand his wisdom at the time. Right. Because I'm 24, 25, 26 saying, God, where are you? Where's my wife? Where's my family? Where's my job? Right. And God's up there going, I've got it all under control. Right. And that's going to come in, in my timing, not yours. Right. And so, man, our our failures a lot of times are just as miraculous as our successes. Um, and I think this passage just screams that to me um, after studying it, that, man, I can take comfort in the fact that when when my plans aren't coming to fruition, God's got a different plan, right? And I don't have to be discouraged by that. Um, so keep trusting in this resurrected Jesus who makes it very clear in this passage that he's the type of Jesus that keeps providing, right? We saw this so extensively in his ministry during our study in the Gospel of John, that he takes care of his disciples, he serves them, right? And then after the resurrection, we see he's the same Jesus, right? He's providing for them, he's serving them, he's feeding them, he's, he's doing all the same things that he did prior to his death and resurrection. And so uh, it's a good reminder to us that it's the same Jesus that we're talking about. Um, this week I challenged you to evaluate your, your predispositions during this pandemic. Are you prone to trust Jesus and to believe that he's going to provide for you before things start spiraling, right? That we want to close again. We've been saying this all along, close that gap of time that it takes for us to believe Jesus. One of the ways that we can close that gap is to continue to build this predisposition in our minds to believe Jesus quickly, to believe him first when we find ourselves in difficult times. And then last week, John chapter 21, verse 20. After Peter has had that time of restoration, he's reaffirmed himself uh, and his love for Jesus. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned it back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Rather than comparing ourselves to others, Jesus calls us to show our love for him by serving others, while trusting him with the story he has written for us. All right, Peter had been known as an individual who was very quick to evaluate his devotion to Jesus based on other people's devotion, right? Like he was very quick to say, you know, these people might deny you, but not me. These people may fail, but not me. Right. These people, um, they may stop loving you, but not me. Right. Um, Jesus kind of reprograms his mind here with this conversation and challenges him not to look so much at what others are doing, but to be very intentional to know what he's doing. 
he calls them to, 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 to love others by feeding them and tending to them, right? And we said that this certainly has pastoral connotations, right? That pastors and elders are seen as uh, shepherds, these under-shepherds to Jesus who take care of local churches, and that we have a massive burden of responsibility to feed the sheep well, uh, to be very cautious and careful who we elevate to a position of teaching within our church so that we can ensure false doctrine and teaching is not populated within our church, right? Um, but I, I think that we miss some elements of what's being said here if we relegate that strictly to the pastor, because there's plenty of other passages in the New Testament that talk about uh, how we as just average church member believers have a responsibility to grow each other up in the faith, right? That the, the mature believer has a responsibility to invest in the young believer and to strengthen their faith. And, and that's, that's what we try to create in these D group and C group format, right? We want to, we want to take you out of this perception that you can only learn and only be fed and only experience growth by learning from somebody with a specific title, right? We want to, we want to, for, for lack of a better concept, give the, the power of discipleship to everybody, right? To, to, to say that, hey, all of us have a responsibility for making disciples. All of us have a responsibility for being students of the word. All of us have a responsibility to learn how to feed ourselves so that we can then in turn feed others who come to Christ, right? I think it would be a massive mistake if we tried to lead you to believe that you could only, you could only be taught by somebody on a Sunday morning, right? Like what we want is for you to embrace the, 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 the great privilege that you have that other men fought for, right? They fought to, to be able to put the Bible in a language that you could read and understand. Cause there was a time period in the church where, where you were at the mercy of somebody like me who was educated to read this and study this, and you couldn't. You, you didn't have it in a language where you could read and understand. And so you were completely at the mercy of me telling you, this is what this says. Y'all need to believe this, right? There wasn't always a time where the Bereans could say, you know what, let's, let's examine what you're saying in, in accordance with the scripture, right? Um, and so, man, you have such a privilege as a church member to, to have the Bible in a language that you can understand, be able to read it and to study it and to help encourage each other with it. And, and you get to inter, you get to intermix that with your story, right? So it's not simply you just cookie cutter giving somebody what the Bible has to say. You get to mix that in with your story because what you have playing out here is Peter saying, okay, God, okay, Jesus, you've just told me that, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to die following you, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a martyr, which we talked last week, had some good connotation there, right? Like he's going to be faithful to the end. He's not going to deny Jesus. Like those were all good things, even though we might look at it and say, wow, like, how's that encouraging? You're going to die, Peter, for following me. You know, we said last week, that's actually a positive thing because Peter wanted to be able to die for Jesus and not deny him. And Jesus says, you're going to get what you wish for. You're, you're going to make it to the end, Right. But then Peter says, well, what about John? What are you going to do with that guy? Right? And what does Jesus say? He says, Peter, man, just worry about your story. Don't worry about him. Worry about what I'm doing in your life. Because I've just told you, you are going to live out your life and die in such a way where you're going to glorify me in your death. And so I tried to help you guys see last week that 
each of our stories, right? My story is different than Adam McLeod's story. Um, each of our stories is, is uniquely different. Um, and, and that God is doing things in my life that he's not doing in Adam's life. And vice versa. He's doing things for Adam McLeod that he's not doing for me. Um, and I don't have to be jealous of that. I don't have to be envious of that. I don't have to covet Adam McLeod's story, right? Because I think if Jesus would hear, was here and talking to me, he would say, Adam, don't worry about that, Adam, right? Like, you just follow me, right? Like, like you and me are involved in this story. <clears throat> you don't have to worry about Adam McLeod's story. You don't have to crave his story. You're going to have your own unique ways of glorifying me. And Adam McLeod's going to have other ways to glorify me. Um, don't, don't try to have his story, right? Embrace your story. And I think that's the message that he's trying to tell Peter. Um, and so my challenge to you last week was, in what ways are you actively seeking to feed others God's word, right? We've structured some things here in our church where you have set times during the month to do that, right? Adam McLeod's going to come out soon and tell you <clears throat> what our next D group focus is going to be on and how you can uh, prepare to uh, speak encouragement into the lives of each other through that format, right? We're having C group coming up this week where we're going to be able to once again talk about Matthew chapter 6, uh, now in the context of our men and our women coming together, right? So how are you going to prepare for that? Because the, the effectiveness of our C group is not on the topic that, that the elders come up with that's communicated by Adam McLeod. The, the effectiveness of the C group is not based on Adam McLeod coming up with the, uh, the most fruitful questions, right? It's just not. So many times the D groups and C groups that I've been a part of, the best ones have been ones that have oftentimes deviated from the set plan of questions that we were supposed to go over, right? It's because somebody came prepared or was going through something that was tied into what we were studying and was able to kind of start sharing and speaking to that and it sparked conversations, sparked further questions, right? The, the effectiveness of our D group and C group is based off of your preparation and coming to it, right? It's just really what it is. The elders are trying to kind of guide that and give us some parameters. Hey, we're going we're gonna to all study the same passage, and we're going to try to approach the passage with some of these basic general questions just to kind of get you thinking and, and, and prying into God's Word. But at the end of the day, it's your preparation. It's your prioritizing the time to come and to gather during those, those set times. You, you bring something to the table, right, with your, with your willingness to – to communicate and your willingness to dialogue and your willingness to prepare and study. And you may study and say, man, I don't know what this passage is talking about. Will you come with those questions with the expectation that there are mature believers there to help guide you in that? Right. Um, but the, 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 the thing that again makes the, the setting effective is that we all come with different stories for how God's playing this out in our life. Right. There's going to be times where people come and they talk about how God is giving and giving and giving to them. And they're able to rejoice and celebrate about God's goodness and his provision. But at the very same time, somebody else is going to come and say, God's not giving to me. God's withholding from me. And, and, and I don't know where he's at. Right. And, and that's where we get to, on the flip side, talk about God's goodness and his sovereign control, even when things look like they're spiraling away from us. Right. Our stories are different, but they all give us unique ways to glorify him. Um, 
So what ways are you seeking to glorify or feed others? And then what unique aspects of your story are occurring right now that could you offer, give the opportunity to glorify God? How is your story right now being uniquely written so that you can glorify him? Some of us are in a state of God's giving to us. Some of us are in a state where God's withholding from us, but we both in those stories get to honor him and glorify him with what he's doing. All right. All right. We're going to wrap up with this. Uh, four things that I want you to remember. Four things that I want you to do with those things that I'm asking you to remember. Okay. So what should I remember from these last eight weeks? I've given you a ton of content. Hopefully it's been encouraging to you, even though it's not been new content per se. Hopefully it's um, a good reminder. Like Peter said last week when we looked at his uh, passage, he says, I'm going to keep saying this stuff to you until I die, right? I'm going I'm to keep feeding you the same stuff because I want you to remember it at a moment's notice. And if, if the Lord so chooses to keep me here at Sovereign Hope until the day I die, and he chooses to keep some of you here until that day too, you're going to keep hearing some of the same stuff over and over and over again, right? What do I want you to specifically remember from these last eight weeks? Number one, God remains in control at all times for good purposes, even when things are spiraling out of our control, right? The disciples just went through, man, some of the worst days of their life, right? The, the whole seizing of Jesus, the arrest of Jesus, the trial of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the time period in between the resurrection and the crucifixion where they don't know what's happening, right? Spiraling out of control. What we have seen over the last eight weeks over and over and over again is that God remains in control at all times for good purposes, even when things are spiraling out of our control because they're never spiraling out of his, right? He's always in control even when we feel like we're losing control. We start to lose control, man, God is still in control. God's still in control. Man, yesterday, Saturday, I felt completely in control of my day right? I was completely in control of my day. I was setting the course for everything I wanted to do yesterday. I, I determined that I was going to get up and, and study a little bit. I was going to go to the uh, property that I hunt on and do a work day with the guys there and spend some time with them. Then I was going to come home and cut the grass. And then I was going to turn on the, the sprinkler and the water slide for my kids. And that was my day yesterday. And somewhere in between that, I decided to drop something on my pipe again in my garage, busted my main water line again, right? And, and it threw my day off completely, right? Spiraling out of my control. And the whole time I'm thinking, man, as much as I think I'm in control of my circumstances, I am just not. I'm just not, right? But God was still in control. God knew exactly what my day was going to look like yesterday. He's always in control. Number two, the Christian belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is based on historical facts that fulfill Scripture perfectly. And I want you to remember that, All right? This is the first time we've gone through a gospel in our history here at Sovereign Hope. Um, it won't be the last time. It won't be the last time that we examine the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What I want to ring true to you in this study is that what we believe is based on historical facts, right? And, and the Holy Spirit has transformed those historical facts to make them spiritually impactful to our hearts. Right? But we don't just believe simply a story. We believe, we believe something historical. Something historical took place. Right? And we've seen that through the details that were given to us by John. And so that gives greater confidence to our faith and our hope um, that what we believe is something that actually happened. Right? Um, number three, 
when I can't see God, peace is still possible because I know where I stand with him and his past faithfulness helps me believe for today. When I can't see God, peace is still possible because I know where I stand with him and his past faithfulness helps me believe for today, right? goes back to that idea of <clears throat> speaking uh, to our current state of mind, our current circumstances with past faithfulness, right? We want to speak to our current situation with what God has been faithful to do in the past, right? So when I can't see God, right? I'm in the midst of a circumstance situation. I don't see where he's at. I don't see where he's moving. I can still be peaceful. I don't have to succumb to anxiousness, right? I can still be peaceful knowing that Man, I know exactly where I stand with him. If I don't make it out of the valley of the shadow of death and my green pastures are truly on the other side of life, I know where I stand with him. I know when I get to him, right? I know he's welcoming me with open arms because my condemnation has been removed. Number four, my life is going to have failures and detours, but each should be understood as miracles of God within my unique story of glorifying him. My life is going to have failures and detours, but each should be understood as miracles of God within my unique story of glorifying him. I think in one of the Snowbird podcasts that I was listening to by the guys, they talked about um, God. I think, I think the statement was God writes straight with crooked lines, right? That, that God's in control and he is taking us to a destination, but at times it feels like, the, the road is all broken up, right? God's riding in a straight line. Um, he, may, he, may be, he may be using some crooked lines to get us there. There's going to be times of failure. There's going to be times of detours. There's going to be times where life doesn't go the way that we expected it to. Um, and we need to see those as miracles of God, not, not God's absence, not God's um, disinterest, not God's failures, right? We need to see them as miracles of God within the unique story that he's giving to us. Again, we start to feel like those failures are magnified when we look at somebody else's story and say, why is my story not like theirs, right? And I was so guilty of that in my mid to late 20s. Why am I not married? Those people are married. Why do I not have kids? Those people have kids. Why do I not have a ministry job? Those people have ministry jobs, right? Man, failures and detours, they're part of God's plan, part of his miraculous plan for the unique story that he has for you to glorify him. Right, this is four things I want you to remember. Four things I want you to do. Four things I want you to do as points of application. Number one, pray for your leaders and be ready to filter all of their decisions and actions as plans that are submitted to God and useful for his purposes. Pray for your leaders, not just your governmental leaders. Pray for your bosses at work. Pray for your pastors and elders. Right? Pray for your leaders. As you pray for them, be ready to filter the decisions they make, the actions they make as being part of God's plan and useful for his purposes, even the evil ones, even the evil leaders, right? This is such a healthy perspective to have as we submit ourselves to authority because it allows me to be obedient and to be submissive even when I disagree with the decisions that are being made. Because I fully believe that God is the one who's in control. And the only authority that my leaders have are authorities that God has given to them. So they can't operate outside of God's plan, right? So a boss makes a decision to 
change your schedule or to give you uh, duties that you're not used to having, right? You don't have to throw your hands up and say, what in the world is happening, right? You can say, this is crazy. God must be planning to use this in a way that I'm just not expecting because I was not expecting these changes, right? Filter the decision-making of your leaders through the perspective that God's the one in control and these plans and purposes that your leaders are deciding for you are useful for God's purposes. Number two, refresh yourself regularly on the apologetical aspects of the cross and the empty tomb as a means of preaching to your tempted heart. Refresh yourself regularly on the apologetical aspects. Apologetical aspects meaning the... um, the support for why we believe what we believe, right? The the evidence for why we believe what we believe. Refresh yourself regularly on why we believe in the cross and the empty tomb and use that refreshment as a means of preaching to your tempted heart. Preaching to your tempted heart. Um, Lauren and some of the ladies in our church have been doing a book study together and Lauren was doing the audio version. I think this is where I heard this. She was doing the audio version of the book the other day and um, the chapter was on, uh, I think it was like on faithfulness in marriage and uh, potential potential temptations to, to sin uh, in marriage. And um, the author was talking about how most, most affairs happen when one of the spouses starts to essentially uh, wonder what their story would look like if they had done things differently, right? And so they start to, to ponder and desire a different story than the one that God has given to them, right? Our hearts are tempted sometimes to to wander and to question, right? And it goes back to what I've been saying about the resurrection for many years is that our tempted heart needs to be reminded that we are on this path because we believe Jesus is back from the dead, right? And if we believe that about him, we believe that the story he's writing for us is a very good story and we can stay on that path, right? And so it starts with that foundational piece My faith is based off of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I need to remind myself of why I believe that regularly, right? Number three, seek to be more knowledgeable about historical Israel and the early church than you are about the current state of America. You're like, what? Right? I I desire for our church to be people who know more about Israel and the early church than we do about what's happening in America. Not that I want us to be ignorant, ignorant about things in America, right? But if you think in terms of what's happening right now with the coronavirus, what's more beneficial to my faith? Knowing about how God has been faithful to Israel and the early church or what's being produced by scientists right now, right? I think we should absolutely be mindful and, and aware and, uh, just cognizant of what's happening in America. Absolutely. Right. Like I think we have a responsibility as citizens of this country to know things about our country. Right. But when we start to become more consumed with what is happening in our country and what our country is doing and what our country is saying, and we lack knowledge and awareness about how God has been faithful to historical Israel in the old Testament and how he was faithful to the early church, we should fully expect ourselves to be anxious over peaceful, right? So let me encourage you to drive yourself. If you find yourself lacking in an understanding of historical Israel in the early church, I want to, I want you to find yourself 
running to know more about God's previous faithfulness in the past so that it can speak to your anxious heart in the present. And to let you just kind of give you a preview, we will be going to the Old Testament very soon as we come out of the Gospel of John to give you more more room to grow in your knowledge of historical Israel, right? Because I want, I want us to know God's faithfulness in the past. And you don't have to wait on me to give that to you, right? You can go feast on God's word in the Old Testament, feast on it in the book of Acts, right? Let's see God's faithfulness to his people. It'll lend itself to us believing him more today when we're, when we're tempted to question him, okay? Number four, Develop a plan for how you will encourage others to know God more through the unique aspects of the story he is telling through you. Develop a plan for how you will encourage others to know God more through the unique aspects of the story he is telling through you. Some of you don't have a plan for when you will even look at like a D group passage, right? Like you just kind of hope upon hope that you'll have some time to look at it before everybody gets together and, and you talk about it. And I'm just telling you, like, if you don't plan to commit some time to God's word, it, it just doesn't happen by default, right? Like we don't ever wake up and say, I have zero to do. Maybe you have during quarantine time woken up and said, I have zero to do today. But on a typical day, typical schedule, we don't wake up and just have extra time to start filling in with uh, things like studying God's word and being in his word, right? Like we have to schedule those things. We have, to, we have to prioritize those things. So when I say develop a plan for how you'll encourage others, it starts with making time to be in the word so that you are then equipped to encourage others to know God more through the unique aspects of your story. You have to be in his word to even have a proper perspective about how he is writing this story for you to glorify him, right? Because if you're not in the word, you won't see that uniqueness to your story. You're going to expect your story to be like everybody else's story. And what Jesus told Peter is, Peter, expect yours to look different than John, right? And so I want to encourage you to develop a plan for how you're going to encourage others to know God more through the unique aspects of the story he's telling for you. That can specifically be tied to D group. How am I going to be in the word prior to my D group meeting, prior to my C group meeting, so that I can come prepared to encourage and feed others through what God has taught me and convicted me about and how he's growing me specifically in my story. But it goes beyond just that setting too, right? Like that's not the only time that we have opportunity to do that. Some of you have opportunity to do that with your coworkers and family members and, and people outside your group, um, Right those gospel connections that we want to see happening where people from one C group and one D group are meeting together for a, for a whole different uh, uh, direction in, in God's word where y'all are studying something totally different. Like, like I said, Lauren, some of the ladies studying a book together um, and reading through that, man, set plans in place so that you can say, this is when I am intentionally uh, encouraging others through the word and through my story. All right. Those are the four things that I want you to take with you. From this study is that we're praying for our leaders we're, we're, we're refreshing ourselves on the cross and the empty tomb we're, we're we're seeking to be more knowledgeable about god's past faithfulness with his people particularly with israel and the early church making that more of our focus than being so educated about what america is doing right but let's 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 attack our anxious hearts with what god's done in the past so that we can better see him working in the present right 
and then develop a plan where you can encourage others um, with the unique aspects of your story. And I hope, hope, hope we can all do that together. I hope that those things um, are, are convicting to you and, and give you some direction for not only being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of it as well. All right. I'm going to pray for us. I know I went longer today than I've been trying to go recently, but I knew I had a lot of content to go over. And then I really wanted to culminate that with some real clear direction about what you can do uh, to be faithful to apply the word as we wrap up today. So I'm going to pray for us. Tyson's going to lead us in a closing song to kind of wrap all this up and give you a time to just pause for a minute, reflect upon what's been said today, um, reflect upon what God's been teaching you, and then uh, even have a chance to maybe pray and, and, and make some commitments to um, doing some of these things as we move forward. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us and challenges us and changes us ultimately. God, we thank you so much for what we've seen about you over the course of these last several weeks. We thank you for the fact that we can see that you are a God who remains in control, um, a God who um, has specific purposes for our stories to where sometimes you allow us to fail when we're expecting success um, because you're, you're taking us on a detour that's necessary. God, help us to see that we can be very content with the story that you've given to us and we can honor you and glorify you with it. And God, help us to be intentional about being in your word, intermingling that with our story so that we can faithfully encourage others to know you more too. God, we thank you for the leaders that you've placed over us. I pray that you would continue to give them wisdom and guidance and direction as to how to handle the pandemic that we found ourselves in. I pray specifically for our Back Together team. We thank you for them and the leadership they're providing for us right now. God, we pray that you'd help them to, to know how to navigate through um, what's, what's best for us as a church in order to come together again very soon. Um, God, help us to, to walk away today hearing your word and being committed to doing it. God, help us to take these action points to heart. Um, Lord, help us to seek to apply your word to our life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.